Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the podcast, episode 12 today. Uh, I'm going to be short and sweet on the intro uh, as we do chat for a, a fair amount of time. I like to keep these within an hour and a half. I'm looking forward to sharing this. I'm also looking forward to hearing people's feedback because if this is the first time you've heard about this guy, then boy, I would love to hear what you think. Uh, check his Instagram out because he's got lots of information there about what he does, puts up loads of content and valuable things and he's definitely one person I have on my Instagram Uh, even though I cleaned it up some time ago he's definitely one person that made the cut now Perry is a amazing guy he's super wise he's very knowledgeable and he's got a broad knowledge of lots of different things and he's got some real life experience there as well I think that sets him up to be a very valuable person in the world of healthcare and in functional medicine. He's a chiropractic practitioner, first and foremost, but he is also so much more than that. He taps into many, many different modalities and lots of movement culture stuff and assessments. And he's doing some great work over in New Jersey in America. And I wanted to get him on to share his knowledge. And he definitely does that. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, We delve into the lymphatic system and how powerful that is and how it has been kind of never really talked about in kind of health in general and not many people know what it is do you know what it is do you know what the lymphatic system is and what it does you're about to find out enjoy godspeed and hope everyone is doing the best they can with what they've got take care I'll tell you what, man, it's going to be the best podcast ever because it's taken us so long to get here. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm grateful as probably more than I ever have been for a podcast because this is like third time lucky. <laughs> that's it, man. When they say third time's a charm, that's perfect. That's good. There you go. Uh, so yeah, let's, 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 how long have you got? First of all, have you got uh, about an hour? Yeah, whatever you need, man. Whatever you awesome. Need. Well, yeah, firstly, appreciate you uh, taking the time for coming on the podcast. First and foremost, I mean, you've been, doing, me. you've been podcasting for 10 years. I've done 10 episodes. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you, yeah, I can't believe it's been 10 years. It feels like I just started it yesterday. Honestly, it really does. Well, I yeah. think that's what makes you such a big component um, and makes you, who you are because you're, you're staying humble and you stay a beginner, don't you? you uh, you've got that beginner's mind. That's very, very important, honestly. That's from my years of martial arts and basics and fundamentals. And you always want to stay humble and always uh, learning. That's the path to mastery, I think, in my opinion, because there's no ultimate end goal to mastery. Yeah, so. the perpetual student. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's all good. And plus the podcast has been very cool for a learning experience for me overall. And uh, yeah, man, I'm ready to talk about anything you want to talk about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, as I said, I, I don't fundamentally think you have uh, you know, a handful of people are probably someone that I don't tend to disagree with. Like there's nothing that you say generally. And that, that for me is a good podcast guest because someone I want to talk to because I don't tend to disagree with anything you say. 
so, <laughs> so nicely. Yeah. No, no pressure. But <laughs> there you go. That's you great. Yeah. I like you because you're just like me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but on the whole, though, functional health, functional medicine. I think your approach. Uh, again, back to the student mindset, it's, I think your approach is, is, is incredible. And I think you're empowering people in their bodies, uh, physically, emotionally. And that's, that's I mean, you can start there. Let's, let's probably start, first of all, set the scene with the, uh, the phenomenal Stop Chasing Pain name. Uh, and just, because that catches people's eyes, doesn't it? And um, people yeah. are intrigued straight away. So yeah, explain that a little bit. And then we'll get into, well, the, let's get into the lymph because unexplored territory for a lot of people i think yeah i'd be happy to yeah well the name stop chasing pain um let me tell you about my journey first to it I've, I've always wanted to try to find out um why people when they were in pain that stuff would help some but wouldn't help others or more importantly why why stuff would keep coming back all the time right i was very curious of why would that happen with human beings that are supposed to be strong and resilient? Were we missing something? And for me, a lot of it was just in my training where I would just focus on where people had physical pain, right? I mean, so as a person who's suffering in pain, that's naturally where you focus because that's your first awareness that something is wrong is it hurts, right? So then naturally, you're, that's your body saying that I need you to pay attention to something and, and change something in your life, which is my definition of pain. Pain is a request for change. Mm -hmm. And then when you go see somebody, it's because of pain and that person would naturally just go where your pain was. And they would do all these different types of treatments and therapies and stuff to where it hurts. And here's the crazy little secret is that they all work for somebody, right? And it would help for a little while for some, but not help others at all. And it would keep coming back. And then I was at a workshop once by one of my very dear friends and mentors, who's a physical therapist who got me into the world of looking at human movement in relationship to pain. And his whole premise was not just treating where something was hurting, but looking at how things outside of the side of pain were, were functioning. And at that stage where it was more along the lines of were some areas stuck and not moving as well as they could, or were other areas moving more than they should outside of the side of pain? And could they be contributing to your actual pain? So in a classic example would be your knee hurts and everybody goes after your knee, but it could be because your ankle joint below doesn't move a lot. So then the knee has to move more and therefore it hurts. Then another one could be the hip joint. Maybe the hip joint is not stable enough, which means it has too much motion, doesn't have good control, and then the knee pays the price, right? So the context was don't chase pain. And it was a slide that showed up at his workshop. And it was, I remember it to this day because my life changed. It was a white slide and three words standing alone in red said, stop chasing pain. And it, it hit me that that's what I've been looking for is we seem to chase pain in the medical community. Mm. 
and that's okay. You should treat where it hurts. That's what I want people to realize that you should treat pain because it's telling you that there is something that you need to take a look at. But here's the tricky part. It doesn't tell you what the problem is or even where it is. It's, it's very tricky, the body that way. And it's very important that I distinguish between uh, acute traumatic pain and slow onset comes and goes chronic pain where if you slip and fall and hit your knee, that's very straightforward of what you would need to do probably for, for your knee. But if your knee hurts today and it didn't hurt yesterday when you went for a run, it's probably not ultimately the knee that you need to look at. And so that's the whole thing of where Stop Chasing Pain came from because it's, that's what we seem to do. And it's, it's not, it's not working well <laughs> because people, in my opinion, at least with chronic pain and chronic disease, we're worse, not better. Yeah. And that, that's, my, that's my format when you come in to see me is that I'm going to treat where you hurt. One, because you expect me to. And then two, I'm going to look, and people say, where do you look next? And my answer is always the same, everywhere, right? Everywhere, which can be very intimidating, which is why you have to step back and have a, a system of approach of, of looking at the body and what it's trying to tell you and the signals it's delivering to you that is there. It's just that you have to come in with the right questions and understanding that relationship uh, with that particular person that you are uh, trying to help. So I know I went on a big, long answer, but you'll soon discover that it's impossible for me to give a short answer to anything. Because it's just, <laughs> how I, that's how my mind works. <laughs> let you off the hook because you love to talk. <laughs> I think that was Greg Cook, wasn't it? The, uh, one of your mentors who had the... Yeah, Greg Cook, who yeah. was, he was the one that really did the the shift in how I look at the body and exposed me to looking at the role of human movement uh, in relationship to chronic pain that people have, because I'd never really looked at it from that standpoint. I was trained. <clears throat> so my, my background in, in which I needed to go to school to hang the diploma on my wall to look at you as a healthcare professional was from chiropractic. But I don't really do just chiropractic or what people think it is anymore. I, I'm able to hang that diploma on my wall so I can learn and study in healthcare and take care of you. But I study everything in relationship to trying to get somebody better. And that's the hard answer when people say, what is it that you do? I don't, I honestly do not have an answer because it's, there's so many things that I put together to try to help someone get well from all sorts of different disciplines, not just in, in healthcare, but other things I've learned along the years. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I did 
very it very much resonates with the what do you do i just don't have an answer to that i was chatting to my friend the other he was on another podcast and we went we went off for 10 minutes just talking about how to answer that question and how best to have fun with it as well and just reply what for fun or you know what do i do well i get in the sea every day uh eat nutritious food or like just reply in such a way it's, it's, yeah, it's a proverbial, it, they call it, what's your elevator speech, right? If exactly. you got me for one floor, yeah. what are you going to say? And, and of, often it's just for them to feel a bit more comfortable with the unknown, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what it is too? So you, you, communication is all about relating to another human being, right? And then yeah. sometimes it's just um, opening up that door of conversation so i actually like to have a little fun when i talk to people and work with people so you know i might not tell them what i really do first i might jokingly give them an answer and i, I sometimes i actually say this sometimes that i say i'm a lumberjack and so they they do a split second because they <laughs> like did i did you say lumberjack yeah and i do that because we all start laughing a little bit right and then I'll have an opportunity to then tell them what I do. But here's the, here's the point. I probably just threw something in somebody's day they didn't expect. They'll probably be uh, smiling or laughing, but they'll usually remember what I tell them next yeah. because I said lumberjack or well, you know, whatever it is. It, yeah, yeah. So it makes, it makes them feel also a bit more at ease. When, when, I mean, what's the best way to teach them when it's to make them laugh first? So, so then they, they kind of drop and then they sink into, okay, this guy I can get along with, you know? Yeah. And, and, and what you learn about the brain is the brain, um, you know, notices things that are different. It notices what the term is called novelty. And when you throw an answer at somebody that they don't expect, it takes a second for them to register because what that tells you is, first of all, they're probably not really listening to your answer because they didn't really care in the first place. It was just idle conversation, right? But then when you throw in lumberjack, there's the twist. That that's when you have what I call a sea of red balls, and I just threw a big blue one right at you. So it's like, wait a minute, what what was that? Yeah. So I do that uh, a lot. It's actually a very powerful uh, therapeutic technique too when you begin to uh, yeah. people. And I don't know if you ever heard this before, but you may have seen somewhere that laughter is the best medicine. So laughter also is very healing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, I want to pick up on an analogy that I heard you talk of. It's in relation to what you do. And it really it kind of gives you a clear picture. And I loved it that much. At first, I started laughing, even though it wasn't funny, but it's just so obvious. And it's kind of like we have to take our body outside of ourselves to then like look at it or step away from it because we get caught up so much in probably the, the mind and the all the thinking that we do um to just to get back into our bodies we have to think about it uh separate to us and and the engineer analogy that you that you spoke of and that you've got to approach your body like an engineer with a car right um in that everything works in relation to its other and you can't take something out to then work on it to put it back in you've got to do that you know collectively i guess yeah so i'm um one i kind of came across that because i just love studying systems in general and how things work in relationships right mm -hmm. the, the not not parts 
but interactions and interrelationships between parts. It's something that we've heard when we've talked is like the the body is more than this, the whole is more than the sum of its parts, right? And that you can have individual parts, but when you put them together with other parts, the initial part is completely different. And that's the way it is with a car, honestly, that's the way it is with a human being, especially because it's dynamic and responds to the environment that's around it. And when you think like an engineer, you, you consider the parts, but you also have to look at what's gonna happen when I stick them together. And here's the cool thing. What happens when I stick them together in different orders? Like how you put the parts together makes a difference on whether, the, whether it's gonna work or not with the system, right? And so in medicine, we, we go down and we look at individual parts, which we should because it's kind of a concept of what's called reductionistic medicine, reducing things down to the smallest component to try to understand the whole. And we can go so far down with uh, microscopes, these electron microscopes that we can see individual DNA, RNA strands. And I'm like, that's great, but it doesn't tell me anything about how to get my condition better because once you stick that DNA and RNA inside of a living body, everything changes, right? right? That's, yeah. that's what they call epigenetics, with the environment changes what you see in that microscopic dish. And the possibilities of what it can do are endless. So medicine is a blessing and a curse because when you go that far down to something, you lose focus of everything else around it. Do you follow? And then we become lost and we study one individual piece of something. And then that's when I say, okay, well, what happens if I put that piece back inside of a person who's had an entire life history up to that very moment that will be different than my life history? So if you put that individual thing in your body, and then you put that individual thing in my body, it's not the same thing because it has to react to everything that led up to the environment of that person in that very moment. Do you follow what I'm saying there? That so it's very individual when we look at healthcare and that's what I try to get across to people when you're treating a body part or you're treating a label or a diagnosis when I say I can't treat your knee the same way I treat my knee because they're not the same knee. And now you know what I mean by that. Because they, the knee doesn't react the same when you use yours as when I move mine. You follow? Mm -hmm. That means that if I take this exercise sheet that was proven by research to help knee pain, and I'm like, well, if I wasn't in your research study, how do you know that? Like, you, you don't because it's my knee. <laughs> and then that's how we have to begin to look at the body. And that's, that's honestly my mission. So I tell doctors and clinicians and physicians or whatever you are is I want you to stop thinking like a doctor. I need you to start thinking like an engineer. And then you'll usually find your answer to health 
instead of disease, because there's a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. What, do, what part do you think intuition plays a part in that? Because a lot of GPs, you, you find they're not, they're really disconnected from their own, perhaps in intuition, because they're, they're too consumer data, they're too consumer books, and, and they probably just haven't got the time really to kind of follow their gut or follow instinct. So where do you think that plays a part in your life? In, in, I think it's a huge play and it, yeah. it, it's overlooked, you know, and it's and intuition seems to be some nasty word that is, they don't consider scientific because you quote unquote, can't, can't prove it on something, but that's Not what makes us unique as human beings. We have things that we're probably never going to be able to explain from a context of our limited view of what we understand about the universe, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. But it, I think that you need both, right? You, you don't want somebody who's just saying, ah, that's like, okay, I'm going to, I think that your problem and I, my in, intuition is this. And I'm like, you haven't read any anatomy book whatsoever. You don't even know anything about the region. So you don't know if your intuition might be on the right track or not. But then you've got somebody who's so rigid and scientific on what must be with a body part that you're also going to be lost because you need to be able to step back and trust your intuition, which is your ability to sense things with another human being that you're working with. These are like these innate primal things that you know when you come next to somebody, whether they're friendly or whether they're life-threatening or whether they're toxic or whether they're, they're kind or not, and you can't explain it. And you never will. But it influences your perception of what you're going to do next. And a lot of that intuition comes from embracing it and trusting it. And you have a lot of intuition with your, with your hands of what you can begin to sense and feel. And intuition is something like, uh, like medicine. It has to be practiced, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Which means that sometimes your intuition is wrong, but also sometimes medical tests are wrong. Like things that are objective actually end up being wrong. And same thing with subjective. Does that make sense? So there's a, you need both parts of that, in my opinion, to be a really good, well-rounded clinician. That's the difference between when you talk with somebody who just is at an academic level, uh, is different than somebody who is in the trenches physically every day working with people. There's a different sense of what you know about the same information that you're reading. You, you follow what I'm saying here? Yeah. So you, you need both. And I've actually learned a lot to, I, when you educate yourself more from the scientific realm and from research or, or knowing your subject matter, it doesn't have to be medicine. It could be mechanics. I have an intuition that it's this based on what I'm hearing, right? It's like the profession doesn't matter. So if the more you know of that, it's going to help you. But then also be willing to let go and, and trust your instinct, always keeping in mind your oath is to first do no harm, right? So you're not reckless and you're not making careless mistakes. But don't be afraid to go down that road. And 
I honestly have been able to develop my intuition a lot over the years because the people who come to see me are have been through a lot by the time they find me. I'm I'm not the first entryway into a getting help that you seek. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I thought about you being like the police officer. That, you know, they've tried the council, they tried the. The, the people in the, in the local area and then the police officers have to go there last and they deal with all the bad people in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So I'm the last one that you, that you go to, which has been a really wonderful, and I've done that by design, honestly. It's, which has afforded me a wonderful luxury in learning, quite honestly, where I know the majority of the time I'll always check to make sure but i know that let's say you have pain in your lower back you've probably had a lot of tests and x-rays and studies and blood work to make sure that it's not cancer right that it's not something you need to rule out and they may have gone at and looked at what they call biomechanics how well does your spine move how well do your muscles move do you have good mobility in your hips or your ankles or your knees and you'll be surprised how many people don't look at that and if they've done all that, and then you're not any better, then what I say is that I'm not gonna do that. Because if you needed that, you wouldn't be standing in front of me asking me for help. So one of the things that I think that when people come in to see me is that their, their consultation is for my brain, which not so much my hands or my techniques, because they're based on, on how my brain thinks and my willingness to trust my intuition. So it's more about how I'm going to look at the individual. And now that I know that everything that's supposed to work hasn't worked, here's where I phrase it. I can go down all the crazy paths that nobody else goes down. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that they're actually not very crazy at all, because every part of it makes sense in relationship to how the whole human being works. They've just been neglected or people have not taken them seriously or don't think that they play a role. Yeah. Or there's not been enough studies in that area to even consider it. So let me give you a classic example. Low back pain is very prevalent in the world today, particularly in the United States, but I think it might be everywhere. And the incidence of lower back pain is increasing, not decreasing, despite our ability to take um, exams and x-rays and see what's going on and give you, I can give you a kajillion different freaking exercises, right? But why is it going up? Because... And in, in typical medical approach, everybody goes after what? The back, right? What I do is I just logically say, okay, well, if going after the back doesn't hurt, you know, you have a complete other side that usually doesn't hurt, and that's called your front. So what I'm going to do is everybody sticks their fingers in your lower back. I stick mine around your belly button. And then most people scream out in pain because it's excruciating around their belly button and nobody ever put their finger around the belly button for two reasons. One, there's no physical pain there that you consciously know about. And two, they're saying to themselves, what the hell does your belly button have to do with your lower back? And then in my world, once you leave my office, you'll realize, holy cow, it's got everything to do with my lower back. Why didn't somebody look at that before? That's the kind of approach that I'm 
talking about. So one of the phrases that I say all the time is that when you come to see me, I look at the body and I'm going to look for slash treat slash address the pain, the pains that you don't know about to help the pains that won't leave you alone. And the, the example of that is this, the lower back pain was not leaving you alone, but you had no idea about the pain around the navel. That's the one in my world that is the ultimate driver of the ones that's in the back. Do you follow that thought process? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a very key concept and it ties right back into our initial story of stop chasing pain. That's what it means. Yeah, it's a very common situation where someone says, I've always had lower back pain. Oh, it comes and goes, it, you know, it comes and goes. You're like, yeah, because you're chasing the pain. And knees as well, very vulnerable part. <laughs> we don't largely have a relationship with the ground in the rest, in the West. So we don't generally use our knees in the way, the full function that they probably should be being used. Um, and again, a common problem in the West where people have problems with their knees. And it's like, it, this pain does come and go and people just accept that, don't they? And that, and, and to the name, yeah. I, you'll see it everywhere now. I will see it everywhere. I will be like, you're, you're chasing the pain. You know that. <laughs> Let's look at something else. Because how long have you been concentrating to try and understand and deal and heal the knee? And, and it's not been working, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, let's let's enter the lymphatic system because that is a huge area, ah. of course. Um, and ah. I wanna I wanna also know like what what is it in relation to everything else, and also like why has this not really been such a common? Why why is it not that common? You don't really hear about it. You know, I could ask, I could call up thirty people now, knowing that they won't know what it is, and they're in some sort of health capacity. You know. <laughs> Right. So, the, so let's, let's break that down. So when you said, why, why is it that few people know what it is or mm. how a key role that it plays? And my answer is always the same. That's a really good question. I, <laughs> I wish that I knew the answer because it's very frustrating of why they don't. And that's actually my calling in life right now. My mission in life is to have it to where everybody knows more about the system, uh, understands how to assess the system, and more importantly, how to take care of the system on purpose. I'll explain that more in a moment. But the vital role that it plays in our health and recovery and performance and resilience, because I think it's the most important and neglected system in the body that we are currently not looking at. And then once you get exposed to it and you see it, you cannot unsee it. Your mind is completely blown, which is the way that it was for me. So, it, but if, to put it in context that I was once like those people where I didn't really look at it, and I wasn't focusing on it because I didn't really think that I needed to or I had to because what, what, why is that relevant to my life and what's going on? It's only after I got really sick about five years ago with an uh, 
an autoimmune disease, which means that they still don't even have an answer for what it was or why I got so sick. And uh, like many people who have things that just suddenly kind of jump them out of nowhere, right? And then you have all these different symptoms that can be anything and everything, but you just feel sick. You don't feel good. You can have chronic pain, tiredness, fatigue, lethargy, brain fog, headaches, incessant pain, and you just know that this is not how humans are supposed to live, and it's not. And you're looking for answers, and then you get into a system that's designed to go after, like what we talked about, you know, parts and, and pain, and their first approach is pharmacological, which is medications or pills, which mm -hmm do have a role in healthcare because I don't want somebody to suffer if they don't have to suffer, but you should always be looking for the reasons of why you need that in the first place. You follow? So I'm not, I don't want people to understand that I'm not anti-medicine or medication because I need to take some medication for me because if I don't, I'll be dead in three days. I had thyroid cancer 20 years ago and then they removed my thyroid gland with a pretty good amount of lymphatics in my neck at the time, which I'll cycle back to why they're important in a moment. And without the thyroid hormone through a bottle, I'll die. Right? But that's only one piece of the puzzle. So now people are probably asking me, can you just tell me what the system is? <laughs> yes. Well, no, perhaps we could go into that a little bit more. Um, so when you got diagnosed with cancer, did you catch it early? What stage was it? How, how did that kind of play out? Because I think that's quite important in, in looking back maybe earlier on before the cancer, like, did you ever go to the doctor? Were you ever, you know, or what role did kind of medicine play before that? And well, do you think, interesting do you think if you knew about the lymph before the cancer, you might have prevented it? I would like to say so from my perspective, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, here's hindsight is 2020, right? And when you look back, signs were always there. I just didn't see them because my frame of reference wasn't there yet. So this was 20 years ago that I got cancer, but I didn't start doing lymph work until five years ago. So that's 15 years mm -hmm. after I got cancer that I didn't do anything with the lymphatics. And prior to me getting the diagnosis where I didn't really... I just had things that like a lot of people have, tiredness, fatigue, lethargy, brain fog, you know, and then I woke up one day and I had a hard time losing weight. I was puffy. I was swollen, but you know, I just chalked it up to, I got stressed, you know, I'm getting older. And then I woke up one day with a goiter, which is basically a swollen mass on the bottom of your throat, like a great, but mine was more like a, a ping pong ball size. And then it was a mass that had grown. So that, that's the only reason I probably found it, honestly, because my body said, I'm giving you all these signs, but you're not seeing them. So I'm going to hit you in your throat with a big giant lump and then you'll do something about it. Yeah. Right. And so for me, but I just went and I got it taken out because it was malignant. It went to some lymph nodes and they took uh, a majority of the lymph nodes in my neck out, which is big because <clears throat> You've got over 700 lymph nodes in your body and your lymphatic system is designed to uh, eliminate cancer. First of all, it's designed to kill cancer. 
viruses, bacteria, toxins, parasites, fungus, and cellular waste. It's supposed to take that stuff out of your body. You don't want that stuff inside of your body because if it stays inside of your body, you get sick and you feel like crap. And you've got 700 of those in your body and one third of the 700 is in my neck, is in your neck. So they took a lot of that stuff out. And the only time you really hear about the lymphatic system is when you hear the cancer word because cancer can spread through your body via the lymphatic system, which first of all should tell you how important it is because it goes everywhere. But they took mine out and then they said, okay, we'll put you through chemo, the cancer's gone and you're all good, but probably not so much because I really wasn't asking myself the question was, why in the hell did you get cancer in the first place? Like, what was the reason that your body flipped a switch to allow that to occur? And then it was, and I started to go back to my regular life and doing things, but it wasn't until 15 years later that I got sick again another way. So what I like to think in my own way of looking at it <clears throat> is that I was still having the underlying problem in the body. It just didn't manifest as cancer a second time. It manifested as my body turning on itself with an autoimmune disease. So I needed to address the lymphatics at that standpoint, but I didn't without going through years of traditional medicine, surgeries, medications approach and medical approaches where I was worse and worse and worse. And the only reason I discovered the lymphatics is because I was at a point where I just wanted to quit. I just was, I couldn't do it anymore. And then I started to, I, either, I said I had two choices. I've either got to pull myself up or I've got to lay down here and die. That's it. I got two choices. Dying wasn't an option for me, even though I thought about it because of family, right? Then that's what led me to begin to discover looking at the body like an engineer. That's when I began to study how all of these other systems of the body that I really was not looking at over the course of my career, what role do they have to play? And because as a chiropractor and what I was doing, I was more bone, muscle, fascia, nerve. I wasn't even thinking about lymphatics because what does that have to do with anything, right? And, but it was always there. And here's where everything hit home for me. Once I started to work on that system, like begin to intentionally take care of helping it function better, because it was just overloaded. I felt a significant improvement in how I felt within three days that I hadn't felt in years. And I said to myself, there's something here I got to look a little bit closer at. And then when I went further down into working with it and investing what I do now in the system that I teach, it saved my life. Honestly, it was transformational in rescuing my, my body pain, but also rescuing my mind because my mind was beginning to go with inflammation and uh, I was heading into what they call a neurodegenerative disorder like Alzheimer's where you just can't think and remember things anymore. And that's where I was, where I had to quit practice and quit teaching because I couldn't put three sentences together anymore. And when I did the lymph and it made such a change, that was the, that was the epiphany. That was the moment 
that everything sort of made sense that I've been looking for for all these years. And I try to step back and think that all of the stuff that I went through was the process I needed to get through in order to discover this system so that I could now take that information and be here today to try to share that with you and your listeners because I know. Here's the thing that frustrated me. Nobody up to that point mentioned the role of lymphatics to me at all. Like no doctor, no therapist. I didn't even know it. And I'm in that world for goodness sakes, shame on me. So how in the world would I expect an everyday person who is suffering to have any idea about the system when the people that are entrusted to take care of them don't even know the importance of the system. And that's unacceptable to me, absolutely fundamentally unacceptable. So that's when I devoted my life to teaching about this system, but making it easy for anyone to learn, anyone to assess, anyone to do to themselves or to someone else. And then that's the journey that brought me here today. So it, it, it was through a lot of suffering and a lot of feeling hopeless, but also of knowing that there's way more that your body is capable of than it's doing now. <clears throat> if we just understood what it's trying to do in the background to get you better. And now when I look at something, I always envision and look at the lymphatic system underneath what I'm treating. So what I mean by that is that, let's say, <clears throat> pardon me, let's say you have pain in your right shoulder. Now, there's a lot of different systems that are in that shoulder from the joint to the muscles that come together to what they call the connective tissue, that's the fascia, to blood flow, to nerve flow. And then, so in my prior life before lymph, I would be pressing into your shoulder and moving your shoulder, thinking about, okay, I'm gonna throw some names at you, okay? Don't worry about the names, but like, it could be your deltoid muscle, it could be my pec minor, it could be my acromiocollicular joint, it could be my deltoid, and I'm pressing in there, right? But what never ever occurred to me is that when I'm pressing into that muscle, I'm pressing through a cluster of lymph nodes that sit there, that could be stuck and stagnant that prevent the muscles from working well because they can't get blood flow and they can't get rid of waste out of the muscles so they can recover, heal and regenerate and move. I was just pushing into the tissue. So now what I think is if I'm pushing in there and it hurts, I already know you have a lymphatic system problem because it hurts and I need to work that system because if I work that system, I'm going to help establish an environment that your body needs in order to heal itself. And then that was the key factor of now envisioning everything working together, not just parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you, um, and when you talk about it in the sense of your body's not, taking on any nutrients it's you might fill yourself with all the red therapy red light therapy you might fill yourself with all the vitamin d all the good food nutritious food 
But if you've got a, a, an organism that's failing to get rid of all the things it needs to, that's the first thing. You know, it doesn't matter how much you spend on organic food. It's not going to, you're not going to absorb that nutrition, you know? And I think that is what best describes it as well. For sure. Yeah, that, that's a very fundamental thing because here's the thing. We know that the human body has an amazing, what they call innate, built in. It just knows what to do mm-hmm. to heal itself. Given the right uh, supplies slash environment to do so, what I call the grocery list. If you give me all of the ingredients I need to make a cake, I'm going to make a really nice freaking cake. But if you don't give me all the ingredients, I'm going to struggle. So that's why if you cut yourself, you know, I have to give the environment for that, right? And, and I would certainly clean it out, make sure everything's out, but then I'll put a Band-Aid over it and then your job is done. Like the body takes over because I gave it what it needs to do so. Yeah. And it's the same thing with pain and with chronic disease. And so if you know that when cells get damaged from anything in life, just life damages cells, they die all the time. And then the way you stay alive is this, the dead ones leave and you make new ones. That's what happens, right? So that's it. Like it's not any more difficult than that. And if I can keep making new ones, I'm going to live longer. If I can keep making new ones, I'm going to recover faster. Mm-hmm. If I can't make new ones at all, I'm going to die really quick, like within 24 hours. Yeah. If I can't make a lot of new ones and I have to still have a lot of old ones, I'm still going to be alive, but I'm going to feel like crap like yeah. all the time. So then you have to ask yourself a fundamental question. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. That you need... In order to get well, you need to make new cells that work. I'm going to say that again. In order to get well, you need to make new cells that work. And then here's the follow-up question. Well, then what do I need to make a new cell that works? Does that make sense? You need two things. It's very simple. You need nutrients and oxygen. So cells need to breathe and they need nutrients. That's food, that's slash energy. If you don't have either one of those, you're dead. You got that. But then once the cells use the nutrients and they use the oxygen, they make waste, right? Then you have what they call cellular waste, metabolic waste. That waste has to now leave your system. So if you, one, can't get the waste out and it gets stuck in your body, what system does that? What's one of the systems that does that? Lymphatic, right? If you can't get waste out, then that means nutrients, when you get them in, if you get them in, then the nutrients can't get into the cells because you got too much waste hanging around. If you can figure out a process to help those two things happen more, here's a wonderful thing. Stuff starts to feel better. So it's when we focus on disease, we always focus on what what we think is like causing the problem. And what you need to look at is this. 
most of the symptoms that you feel are your body's own reaction of what it's trying to do to help you heal in the first place. Once I figure out what it's trying to do, and more importantly, what does it need in order to accomplish that, that it's not getting, if I help it get that, then the first part, which is quote unquote, the disease slash dis-ease, usually gets better, right? So if you follow my logic on that, is it, let me give the body what it needs to do what it's designed to do, and it usually can do it quite well. We don't think that way in medicine. We go after what we think is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. We don't look at the, we don't look further down the road. So that's why in my work, lymphatic work, lymphatic assessments always, always, always come first. It's fundamental. It's like, I don't do anything else. And so like make sure that system works as well as it can in all levels of the process. Because if it does not, you are really going to struggle to get well because you just took away a big part of the cake mix that you need to get well. Yeah, how does someone get a better relationship with their lymphatic system uh, to understand perhaps if it's uh, you know good or bad? That's a good question. So here comes my running joke. When people say, how do you know you have a lymphatic system problem? I'm like, the answer is yes. Everybody's got a problem with it. It just depends on yeah. how bad. Yeah. Why? Because most people have never done anything intentionally on purpose to take care of it. Because mm-hmm. right? you don't even know about it. So it's like, how the hell can I take care of it if I don't know about it? Right. <clears throat> but here's the thing. You're always working your lymphatic system because the lymph in your body moves through two primary mechanisms. The human, the human movement is one. So the more that you can move of yourself, the more you're going to move your lymph. But in the world today, people don't do a lot of movement anymore. So they don't move a lot. And if they, here's another caveat. If they do move, it's the same kind of movement all the time. They don't do a lot of different types. So that can also make your lymph not so good because the fluid and the muscles of the body adapt to what you do to it all the time. So if I do the same thing all the time, I'm going to get the same kind of fluid flow all the time. That's why you need to do a lot of different types of movement in your life. So that's one. The other one is breathing uh, through the diaphragm, which is a muscle that's a dome muscle that sits beneath your lungs and your abdomen. And that, when you breathe through the diaphragm, that creates a pressure change in your abdomen and in your chest that pumps fluid, like a hydraulic pump through pressure. And most people do not breathe through their diaphragm. And most people don't even breathe because they're stressed all the time. They hold their breath all the time or they're breathing just in the neck and the shoulders and nothing moves below. So you've got no breathing as if as the way you should, no movement. And then the fluid's like, well, I'm just going to stay right here. Nothing's going to move it. 
But then this is where it gets fun because this is where people in the fitness industry ask me this question all the time. Doc, I'm all about movement, man. I move all the time. Like that's my thing. And I teach everybody how to move. And then I know that the diaphragm is important and I've taken a lot of different certifications and read all these books and I teach my clients how to breathe too. So why are they still struggling and why do I have to do any limp work? Here's my answer. Because sometimes the system is just so overloaded, it's so overwhelmed, it's so stuck and stagnant that those are not enough anymore. It's not enough to move it. You have to physically go in there and get it moving by hand. And the way I talk about that is like, lymph is a type of fluid. It's 90% water. So just think about how water would flow. So if, if I know water naturally moves, right, from uh, downstream, that's pressure. So high pressure at the top, low pressure at the bottom. So it just naturally flows. That's the way it does in the body. But what happens if I go in there and then halfway down the stream, I put rocks and twigs and I build a dam and I block it. Then it doesn't matter whether the water knows where to go or not. It just can't get past the obstruction, the blockage, what we call stagnation. And then I don't have to teach the water where it needs to go. All I have to do is go in there and start removing what? Rocks and twigs. And if I take them out, what happens to the water? It just goes, right? And that's exactly what lymph is. With my resets, I show you how to find those big rock blocks the dams, the beaver dam, I call it, right? The beavers build this up and then you get them in very specific areas of your body that when you can free them up, the whole stream opens up and then that's gonna have the fluid flow work well. You're going to now get rid of the toxins that have been stuck there behind the rocks and then I'm going to be able to now have all the fluid bring in the nutrients that it, the cells need. So then the cycle of life uh, continues. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very simple, fundamental. Once you explain that to people, they're like, you know something? That makes complete sense. And it's so easy. And I'm like, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not... See, the human body is complex, but it's not complicated at all. We just make it that way. And people always say the same thing to me. They're like, Doc, it can't be that simple. Like, if it was that simple and easy, this is the fun part. I'd know about it. <laughs> I'd know about it already, right? <laughs> no, not so much, man. Not so much. No. Trust me, you won't. And then when they do it, then that's when they get happy, but then they get frustrated and then they get angry because then they're like, if I had only known, I wouldn't have had all these months or years of feeling like I'm feeling. But that's human nature. We think that 
something has to be really complicated and huge steps in order to make our lives better. But you realize the older you get and when you've, you've been um, knocked down enough times that it's the simple basics and fundamentals of something that's probably been overlooked that you just need to do that will make all the difference in the world. And here's the beautiful thing. Most of us already know what they are. Mm-hmm. We just don't do them, you know, like eat for like eat, eat like an adult, stop eating crap food and drink water and walk a lot. You'll probably feel a lot better. And then same thing, but now are you going to add lymph to that? Mm-hmm. And then you do those things. And then it's like crazy. And it literally takes you 60 freaking seconds to do it. It's not long at all. Uh-huh. What common reactions do you get when you're releasing someone's lymph? And in the, apart from feeling good, but what 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 certain signals would suggest that that's the lymph moving around? So let me go back to some of the things that you can experience when your lymph doesn't does not work well. And I'm going to be honest with you; it's kind of like an easy answer, but I'm I'm serious. You can feel almost anything. You know, it's things of symptoms that you would relate to a disease or you would relate to um, symptoms that you would get like swelling, inflammation, but joint soreness, tiredness, fatigue, lethargy. I even have people who get sinus issues, gut issues, uh, organ issues, bowel issues. The list is endless because those are just symptoms of a body that is not able to heal itself is what those are. So it can be anything, honestly. Uh, and one of the things, and you'll usually get those because the, the lymphatic system is designed, remember, to remove waste from the body. The, the waste that comes in from the outside world all of the time because we live in a very toxic world but also the waste of your own cells just dying every day and then needing to get out of your body, right? That's one of the reasons why you sweat. Sweating gets rid of toxins. Breathing out through air gets rid of toxins. Uh, Peeing and pooping get rid of toxins. That's why you do that. You don't want to have that stuff inside you. That's just nasty, right? (laughs) And so the limp is the same way. So when lymph gets backed up, that means you have a hard time, what they call detoxifying, taking toxins and then removing them from the body. And just like the the dam, when it gets blocked, you accumulate more toxins in your body. And when you work the lymph, I'm going to now start to move those. And you can experience a couple of things. It really just depends on, honestly, like how long you've been backed up, how sick you might be with your type of condition, and, and how long you've had something, like we said before, that when I free them up, a lot of people can notice a sense of like increased energy, uh, a sense of vitality. Right, that things move better. They usually notice more range of more things move. They're less sticky, tight, uh, sore when they move. Uh, they also feel a little tingling or numbness sometimes because of the rush of blood flow going into regions. And they just feel like this 
for lack of a better term, this fluid energy life force going through the body, which is basically oxygen and nutrients and nerve flow. But people can also notice the signs of a detoxification, which basically can feel like a hangover, like you had a really rough night out and you had one too many, where you actually feel a little bit worse. You get increase in your complaint. You get tired, more tired, you get more fatigue, you get headaches, you shake, you shiver, you feel like you get a fever. But those are responses that the body puts down from your immune system to try to kill things. And when you release toxins into the body, then that's the signal for your immune system to kick into gear to kill stuff. So it can be either one. Right. And then that's why with the lymphatics, you have there's a certain way that you need to move in easier, depending on who you're working with, because a lot of people that have been sick for a long time or have diseases or what they call autoimmune disorders and things like that. I already know they struggle to uh, detoxify. And you can't do too much to them in the beginning because they have a system that's that is not very good at eliminating toxins. And if I put too much onto them at one time, the system is just has the inability to, to handle it. It doesn't mean that you're going to cause more harm. It just means that you can make somebody feel worse than they need to feel in their recovery process. So the thing that people need to remember in relationship to medicine, just like physical fitness, is that more isn't always better. It's usually not. <laughs> better is better. So it's, it's what we call little and often over the long haul. Small little changes that you can begin to make in the body so it can begin to uh, adapt itself to the new changes that you're asking it to do. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, it's important to, to recognize if you're taking more medication for something, because it's probably not, not, not the right way to go. If it feels like you need to take more to then help the pain, you know. But that's <laughs> usually what happens. That's why there's an yeah. opioid crisis too. But what you'll find is this, is that many of the tissues that need to get the medication don't get it because of the congestion. So mm -hmm. think about that analogy where if I'm putting medication into your system, it needs to be delivered to the systems via the blood system and the lymphatics. So if I've got a congestion and you'll usually get congested in uh, the groin, the arms and the abdomen and the neck, those are the big places. When you get congested there, that means the medication congests there and doesn't get delivered to its endpoint, just like if I had the dam blocked at the top and water's coming down. I don't have it completely blocked, but there's little trickles of water coming through, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So most of the medication is above the blocks, the rocks, and some of it will trickle through at the end. So it takes a lot more medication to get a result because it can't reach its target tissue. It can't get there. So when you free up the, I take the rocks out, then I have a lot more of that getting into the system. And here's an interesting thing about that. 
So let's go back to my thyroid. <laughs> so when they took my thyroid out, I need what they call Synthroid. And at the time, years ago, when I was developing my sickness, I was 30 pounds heavier. I was puffy. I was swollen. I had a lot of what they call edema, which is swelling the body puts down for protection. Mm. And I started to store more body fat because your body will give you more fat to prevent toxicity buildup around organs. So I was very puffy. And because I was very puffy, I didn't have a good absorption of nutrients or medication at a cellular level because of the blockages. So in order to keep my blood test levels where they tech, tech, check your thyroid levels, you have to have this numbered spectrum, right? Of low or high. I needed 350 micrograms of Synthroid to keep my blood levels where it needed to be. Once I did the lymphatic work and I started to work with the lymphatic system and I got rid of the toxins, I got the swelling and inflammation down and I lost 30 pounds of inflammation and swelling and water weight and edema and fat in one month without altering anything with my movement routine. And then three months later, when I went to get my test, my levels were off the charts because my medication was too high. So now I'm at 200 micrograms to get the same results to keep me normalized, which means that I was able to drop down from 350 to 200 and get the same results of my blood to keep the organ, to keep the levels of what they needed to be. That's a classic example of not needing as much medication to get a desired result, which in my opinion is a good thing because every medication has some type of side effect to it. So you need less of something to get the desired result in the end, and maybe you don't have to be on something as long because you're getting better absorption of the medication. Did you follow? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, that would be a sign of you getting better, right? If you're kind of weaning off it, for sure. Um, no, you need less. But the big one that people take a lot of the opioids and the pain medications that we have a huge addiction for in the world, particularly in the United States, and all of that has to get processed through the liver. And then when you understand lymphatics, you know that 50% of lymphatic production is dumped from the liver into the lymphatic system. So if you have a liver that's overloaded, then you're also going to have an inability to absorb pain medication effectively. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's a win-win when you ensure that the lymphatics work as well as they can. Mm -hmm. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask away anyway. What, what do, you mean, do you think fasting plays a part in that detoxification process and allowing the body to just really you know not take anything else on before it starts to heal i guess um i suppose yeah. cells and regeneration of your cells fasting is has been proven to to help that and also psychedelics and purging as well i'm sure there's there's a lot in that you could probably you know think about talk about yeah absolutely well, I mean, I haven't had the opportunity to do the psychedelics yet, but um, you know, the fasting I, I do, and 
I recommend it highly. There's all sorts of different types of fasting. I do intermittent fasting, which is where I go about 16 hours without eating, and I do eight hours of eating. And that was a big change for me personally because I, I've been into bodybuilding and fitness since I was 14 years old, and I'm going to be 54 tomorrow. And in my world as a bodybuilder, you eat seven times a day, whether you want to or not, and you eat uh, an ungodly amount of protein, especially when I'm in my days, because I mean, I came up in the 80s and 90s when we did so much stupid stuff, it's not even funny, <laughs> uh, too much protein. Yeah. And then when you realize that the lymphatics, its primary role is to rid the body of excess protein. And then I don't give my stomach a break. And the most of the lymphatics in your body actually reside in your gut, in your small intestines. So they, don't, they never get a break. And it takes energy to break down food, right? And then that means you have less energy for other things. Sure. You need to give your system a little bit of a break, not to mention what, what actually, you need to take it because what the hell are you sticking in your throat, right? Because it's horrific what some people eat. I mean, I, I don't know how, I honestly tell you what, I don't know how any human being is alive at all on this planet with the crap that people eat. <laughs> We're adaptable, right? We can uh, you know what? We being live, so. I think. <laughs> We would think so, but I don't think we're as adaptable as we think we are. That's why we're getting sick. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest ways that you can change your health is just to change what you stick in your mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and so giving yourself a little bit of a break like that, and, uh, and that's called, it depends on the pronunciation, it's called autophagy or autophagy, and that's just program cell death that you need, and then that happens through fasting. Um, so that was really hard for me to do in the beginning more from a mental aspect, because if I wasn't eating every three hours, I thought I was losing all my muscle, <laughs> which, you know, is ridiculous yeah. now. Conditioning, but right? It's all conditioning. It's all mental condition. Oh man, don't fast or you're going to lose your biceps yeah. today. Right? Uh, so for me, it was huge in helping me to recover. And I play around with that. 16 hours was a little bit for me in the beginning. I had to just start with 12 and then I would begin to work my way up because um, you can't make something too restrictive or too difficult because human behavior is they won't do it. And uh, you, you've got varying degrees of um, opinions on nutrition or diet or whatever. And here's the one thing that I've learned over the years. That there's a few things that you don't discuss uh, on social media. One is politics. I mean, I think that's common sense, right? Uh, the other one is religion, because somebody's always going to have their own opinion. And the third one is nutrition, because <laughs> everybody's going to tell you the complete opposite. <laughs> and you're a freaking moron, and you don't know anything. So you, you don't talk about those three things. <laughs> so when people say, what kind of diet should I have? I'm like, I'm not telling you anything, because it's so individual. Like what would work for you might not work for me based on your age, your stress, your gut, you know, whether you mentally can do that or not. And, you know, every diet works for a little while anyway. So um, the one thing that I'll say in relationship to lymphatics, it's mostly water. So you got to make sure that you hydrate well. Uh, 
fruits and vegetables are really good for that more so because of the um, water content that you have in there. And you just got to be careful on overloading with protein because the an overloaded system with lymphatics usually has excess protein around the cell, around the fluid that the cells sit in. And uh, it can be just be too much for the system to be able to handle with um, the, and then it becomes the quality of the protein after that. So those are some pretty standard ones. And it's really simple when it comes down to it. The, the more that you can eat to close to nature and the more you can easily name what the food is, mm -hmm. the better. Like, you know, you could pick up a box, five boxes from different shelves in the store and not know, you know, they, they're like, I don't know what I'm eating. Am I eating a cookie or am I eating a box of uh, pasta with some stuff in it? But if I show you an avocado, you know, oh, that's an avocado. Like that's, yeah. that's the kind of thing I want people it's got, to eat. It's got one ingredient in avocado, isn't it? Just avocado. Last time I checked it did, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, well, a good friend of mine, Dan John, who's a, a great gifted coach, he gives really simple advice. He tells people to just eat like an adult, uh, which means they don't eat your your Twinkies and your Yahoos and your you know all that sort of crap that the kids want. Just eat like an adult. And I said, you know, these days you got to be careful with that because even adults eat horrific. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and that's big, man. I mean, really, it, it, the nutrition is a huge part, but unfortunately, uh, you don't get a lot of exposure to that in the uh, healthcare field either. They get very little training, at least in the United States, in med school and relationship to nutrition and um, lymphatics. Mm -hmm. lymphatics. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we need to get up and move our lymph. But before we do that, Let's, um, let's talk about language and the importance of language because I know you've mentioned it a few times and I just think it's something I do want to touch on for everyone who's you know, listening, who's made it this far because I think language is... is ah, anybody yet? Yeah. <laughs> I can talk about lymph for about a week. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Set a record. Lymph, lymphatic dialogue for a week. Guinness Book of Records. Yeah, that's just skimming the surface. So people are like, wow, that's some cool stuff with the lymph. I'm like, I'm going to yeah. agree with but you. But it does. It takes that. It takes talking about it for a week for people to kind of register how important it is. Um, yeah. you know, it took me, I mean, I've been listening to you for a while, but it, it took a few podcasts to really like, yeah. And even now I'm learning new things, even though you're saying, you know, lots of the same territory of it. And it's like, I'm reconditioning my mind to actually, cause, cause we just want to believe we'd know this. I'm 30 years on this planet. It's something that important. I'd know, like we said before. Um, but again, that's like, competition, man, you know, it's kind of, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you again, what I just told you. That's <laughs> amazing um but yeah yeah language in terms of like self-care also how we kind of because i know you, you coach a lot of people um and you and you work with a lot of people and do you find like back to props to start come full circle people are kind of wrapped up in the identity of their pain and like naming it do you think that that is quite significant that i find that they kind of they really identify with it 
and they believe they are it and then they can't lose it because they would lose themselves. And that's come up before. And I think that's just such a profound idea and how we relate to our pain. And like, it's also with trauma as well and how we relate to our trauma um, and that being, you know, our identity, I suppose. People feel like it's like the death of me if, if that goes. Yeah, I've seen it a lot in my world because I deal with people that are been suffering for a long period of time or with chronic pain and they've, they've become their diagnosis. They've become their label. And when you hear that you, you, cause here's the thing, when you're sick, you, you want to find answers, but because the not knowing part is very terrifying. And then when you get your answer, it, sometimes you get worse. Be careful what you wish for because now they, they begin to, that that's what I have, this is what I have to live with. And then they all, all of a sudden start to manifest even more symptoms of that condition once they know they've got it. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because once you've been diagnosed, quote unquote, with rheumatoid arthritis, you're gonna go on Dr. Google and you've got 500 symptoms and all of a sudden you got them all. So it's, it's very easy to fall down that rabbit hole and then you you can lose hope based on what the quote-unquote prognosis is for that or even the environment of a support group that you may go into for whatever your label is and you have to be careful with support groups everybody because sometimes support groups are the most toxic place you'll ever go as so many people, I call it the frog, I call it the, not the, the clams in the bucket syndrome, where if you put all these clams in a bucket and a crab's trying to get out, all the other ones are going to pull that sucker right back in. They're not going to let you get back out. Because misery loves company. And you have to be careful with that. So it's the, it's the language that other people are going to use in relationship to something and the language that you use for yourself when you're talking to yourself out loud or in silence or around a group of outcomes, possibilities, and things like that. So language is really, really important. It's something I've begun to focus on a lot over the last several years of going through my own thing because it's very easy to fall into these patterns that you don't even notice of things that you're saying about yourself or to other people. And I've become very attuned to trying to notice those patterns in my patients when I see them because it gives me a perspective of how they're viewing themselves and their illness that they might not even be aware of. And that, that gives me insight into their capability to heal. But it's also been helpful for me to be very selective on the words that I choose when I talk to someone because a word that I would normally not think twice about on saying, um, now I really pause before I use a certain word, you know, like, like broken or uh, right, even the word right. Because yeah, right. it, yeah. it implies that there's a wrong. Yeah. And I don't believe in a right or wrong answer when it comes to the body i just believe in different yeah each one will each one will give you an outcome yeah i've changed that lately right and wrong because it you know i relate to it. i've related to it all my life 
and I'm doing something wrong now, am I? And, but it's actually, I've changed it to useful and useless. Yeah. It's either right. helpful or it's, 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 it's not, you know? You're always going to get something from whatever you do, right? There's a lesson in there somewhere. And I've, I've studied pain a lot because they know that pain is from the brain mostly, right? The brain is the, how you interpret pain. And um, there's so many, that's a rabbit hole in and of itself. But when, when you look at the brain and you look at neuroscience and, and why humans do what they do, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I came across something that was very transformational for my thinking where th the brain doesn't think in terms of right and wrong. That's a human construct. Okay. Cause right to me may be wrong to you. Yeah. So, I mean, politics is the example. You're right to like this guy. You're wrong to like that guy. And I'm like, well, it's the same damn thing. You're just, it's how you're perceiving it. Mm -hmm. So the brain doesn't think in terms of right and wrong. And that's like how we look at symptoms too. It's, it's not doing the wrong response or the right response. It's doing a response. And then here's the key. You, you touched on it before. It's utility. That means usefulness. So the brain only does anything that it deems useful at the moment whether it makes sense to you or not, like I use a phrase all the time is that the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you. It could really give crap one if you understand why it's choosing to do this to you at all. Like, I don't care, Perry, if you can wrap your small little brain about why I'm making your nose leak, but I'm doing it because I think it's useful for you at the moment. Yeah. And then that's how you have to think. What's the utility of me doing that and then what might it connect to in the body? So what that does is this. It takes a lot of judgment away from yourself and judgment away from another person. When you know that the brain has, it thinks it's useful, don't blame it, that, that it's broken. I'm gonna contend to you that when you have an area that is very painful, I don't think it's broken. I think it's actually working way too good. Yeah. Like that's a different frame, right? I just got to say, Hey man, we got to make this guy not work so much because it's hurting. Right. And then you, you have to, it, it seems like a very subtle thing, but it's, it's not, it's the difference between C A N and C A N T. All I did was put a T on the end of that. And that's going to make a difference on whether you're going to do it or whether you're not going to do it from one thing. Mm -hmm. So small things become very big things in the world of chronic pain, language being one of them. Like I have people who uh, they use the term hate, you know, I hate my, I hate my calves or I hate my glutes or I hate my big boobs, right? So they, they actually use the word hate. And, and I, I'm saying to myself, you do realize that all of your cells are listening to what you're saying right now, right? And it takes that in. And when you study trauma, you realize that when you 
anytime you hate or feel ashamed of a part of your body, you immobilize it. And I just want that to sink in for a moment. Right? It, you shut it down and not just in how it moves, but in function and in, in, uh, in energy and life. This is where you send those uh, thoughts and feelings. That stuff manifests itself and usually with posture and movement. So let's take an example. I hate my big boobs or my small boobs. Will that change your overall fundamental posture and how you breathe and how you carry your shoulders and how you hold your head high or low and the body posture manifesting itself based on your self-belief about your breast? Yes or yes? It will. Yeah. Right? And I don't care how many times I crack your back or release your fascia or tape your back or pull your neck back and have you stand in a mirror for two hours straight. If you don't get over that shame of your breast, I'm not changing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's embodied. Con have you heard of the term embodied cognition? Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading um, Stealing Fire at the moment and it, it talks about this a little bit. Um, yeah. And it talks about, obviously, as you know, power postures and Amy Cuddy's work. Um, but something that really it touched on also was um, the lack of empathy that people with Botox had. They, they couldn't feel other people's pain because how we relate to other, someone else's situation is with our eyebrows, you know, we lean in. And because they were unable to raise their eyebrows, they just had a straight face. Their body just didn't, didn't feel the empathy. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely like it's, you smile more, you're going to feel better. That's, that's just a fact. Well, that's tied to what they call the polyvagal theory, which is, you know, a premise of your, you have a vagus nerve in your body that comes from your skull. And then that is relates to other nerves in your skull that go to your face and your ability to smile or uh, change the, the, the tone of your voice or move your eyes. Human beings are social creatures. We're, we're wired to look and read another person in relationship to, is this person a friend or foe? Are they a threat or are they someone that I can be close to? And those are signals that are, you look for cues that you don't even know you're looking for. One of them being a ability to smile or raise your eyebrows or any small thing those cue off in you a stress response or a threat response. So this dead face that you see, that's a threat response from anyone, right? Uh, and when you're looking at someone, but also for yourself, right? Like you mentioned before, the ability to actually smile because you can tell whether a smile is a genuine smile or not, based on whether the outside corners of your eyes wrinkle or not. That's a genuine, true smile. Mm -hmm. If you see a wrinkle there, then it is. If you don't, it's not, right? So of cues that you look at and how well that you can move your, um, move your mouth when you do some things like that. So those are very, very important in relationship to how we, 
how our body responds to our own body, but the social cues from another person, right? Mm-hmm. And just a small change and in intonation of your voice. This is where communication is so powerful because I can take a single word and based on how I can change the pitch of the word, right? Or uh, the length of the word or my tone of the word makes a difference on the meaning of the word. And when you understand that, you can go a long way towards helping to heal yourself but also small little things that you can do to make a difference in how another person feels. Hence why they say one of the best ways that you can help yourself or another person feel better is to have a genuine smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. All right, we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. Um, I wanted to ask you actually some, some books that have perhaps have been a key proponent in changing, changing things for you. Any, any books you want to give a mention out to any any or have you got any links to on your website yeah well my book when it comes out it's going to be a damn good one if i well, do there you so. <laughs> it's only a few years overdue uh, so uh one of the biggest projects that i've ever taken on hopefully that'll be out next year okay and, um, Is it your last list? yeah that'll be available for pre-purchase soon it's called stop chasing pain and then there's a big subtitle underneath that I forget what it is vital guide to something that's all I know um and but on my my blog I've written an article of my top 10 books that I think people should nice. know that's what I'd love to, yeah, I'll, I'll link to that yep that, that's a good one to, to go by because here's the thing I I read like 20 books at a time like I don't I read like five pages here of this then i'll read five pages of this one so i have multiple ones going on at the same at the same time so uh reading is one of my all-time favorite things to do all the time um so yeah but that list is always but probably has to be updated a little bit but uh most of the time you can tell what i'm reading because if i post on instagram i'll usually quote something and put the author's name below it and then you can check out the name of whoever I quote, because that's who I'm reading about or um, learning from. Yeah. Yeah. And there's tons of valuable free content on your Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. I'm on there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Um, anything else you want to add to, to, I guess Instagram is the best place to, to, to find you to, to, to listen to you, to hear you. You've had some phenomenal guests on your, on your podcast. I was Thanks. searching back right to the start and yeah, there was, there was a fair few names that I was like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, my Stop Chasing Pain podcast is definitely one. I've had that for about 10 years. I think I was one of the first podcasts to start to really come out. Now everybody's got one, which is cool because you can learn from <laughs> people, but the Stop Chasing Pain podcast and you'll be able to see my journey of you know, what I was into over the years, because I'll have a cycle of themes that are going. Right now, I'm really into a lot with neuroscience and pain science and autoimmune. Um, But yeah, there's some real cool heavy hitters on there that I've learned from in the past. And the Instagram is probably the place on social media I spend the most time. 
Stop Chasing Pain there. But if you go to my website, stopchasingpain.com, you can see a theme here at Stop Chasing Pain, right? Um, that that will be a direct link to any place that you want to learn more from. We have memberships that people can do from monthly to yearly. We have webcasts, which you can tune into something kind of like the Zoom for two days and get intensives. Okay. We have individual videos that we offer people. And there's a lot of different things and way options for people, depending on a budget that they have, <clears throat> like the time availability, how deep the rabbit hole they want to go. But there's something for everyone. It's not just for healthcare professionals or any, it's for human beings. It's for anybody along the spectrum to learn for. So the limp, you can gather self-help video there called Body Aquarium Lymphatic Mojo. Mm -hmm. And then the two-day course is more of the intensive version. But yeah, you'll you'll definitely find uh, one, two, three, or 5,000 things about me to learn a little bit more about. Yeah, yeah. As I mean, do you want to hear, you've got many a podcast, you've been guests on, on a fair amount. So uh, yeah. Great. Awesome, mate. I appreciate your time so much. Really, really. Yeah, honor. I can't believe how fast it went, man. It's like a time zone warp. Like, damn, it went really fast. But I, I thank you very much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. You asked some great questions and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the topics. Hopefully everyone who is still listening, <laughs> if we haven't exhausted <laughs> your brain yet, that you learned a couple of things and maybe just a new way of looking at yourself or yeah. looking at the body and realizing that there's always more stuff to learn, but also that there, there's also hope for those that might be losing it. Yeah. I think it's complex, not complicated. I think that's, that's beautiful. That's a big difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Big. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you all for staying to the end of the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your ears. And as I said, please let me know your feedback. Did you find this valuable? Anything in it that you wanted to explore further? Do you want me to ask Perry a question? Then send it over to me uh, and hopefully I can get that answered for you. We appreciate your time and appreciate if you want to leave me a review on iTunes or just get in touch with me and just uh, spark a conversation. Be good to hear from you. I uh, hope you're good and speak soon.